0: Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today CIO podcast. I'm John Lynn, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today, and I'm excited to bring you the most practical healthcare CIO insights and perspectives. We know your job is challenging and we want to help you be more successful. And our guest today is a longtime friend of Healthcare IT Today. He's Drex DeFord. He's a former CIO and executive healthcare strategist at CrowdStrike. Welcome, Drex.
1: Hey, thanks. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, well, I'm excited to kind of uh, do a little ripped from the headlines episode of the CIO podcast. Uh, Mm -hmm. But before we dive into the topics for today, tell us a little bit about your experience as CIO and also now at CrowdStrike.
1: Sure. I'm a longtime healthcare CIO. I refer to myself as a recovering CIO. (laughs) I've been uh, been in the business for uh, 30 plus years now. Uh, 20 of that in in the U.S. Air Force uh, and then became the CIO at Scripps and Seattle Children's and Steward and uh, did an independent consulting stint for about six years uh, with vendors and VC firms and PE firms and uh, and health systems, obviously. And then in uh, March of this year, still this year, (laughs) <laughs> uh, <laughs> became the executive healthcare strategist at CrowdStrike. So I helped CrowdStrike with, I'm kind of a utility player. I help them with everything from uh, uh, product development to, um, you know, connecting to customers to helping them understand how healthcare works and helping make our products and services uh, a better fit for healthcare. Awesome, not
0: not to put you too much on the spot here, but you've been a recovering CIO for a while. Are you ever going to come out of recovery? Or are you kind of happy with recovery?
1: <laughs> you know, it's uh, I get this question regularly, and recruiters still call. And I would never <laughs> say sure. never, right? Okay, but I mean, it's I you know I'm I'm having so much fun now doing what I'm doing at CrowdStrike. I've always sort of thought about this world that we live in as where do you get the longest lever to make the most difference in the most organizations at the same time? And uh, and for me, CrowdStrike has just been a dream job. And I really feel like, especially with everything that's happening right now, I can make the most difference for healthcare here. And so, like I said, I'd never say never, but I think I'm going to be recovering CIO for the rest of my life.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a spotted inner mountain, you know. Uh, no, <laughs> no, so uh, yeah. I mean, to your point, you you really are well positioned uh, because security has become such an important topic for CIOs. Uh, yeah. and, and as I said, kind of ripped from the headlines, one of the biggest ones is the Log4j vulnerability that's just impacting so much of technology. Do you think we'll see something like Log4j, the Log4j vulnerability again? And what are some of maybe the lessons that CIOs need to take from this vulnerability? Yeah,
1: yeah, man. I mean, I don't know what to say, except um, I hope not. Um, I'm sure that, uh, you know, for the folks that are watching, they probably already have the background and insight on Log4j and what it is and, why it's yeah. a challenge? If um, they don't. Uh, it's a
0: problem. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a problem. It's
1: a problem if you if you've not heard about this and you don't uh, kind of understand it. But I mean the you know the kind of the lessons that I I kind of see from this as I talk to CIOs and and CISOs around the country is that <clears throat> lots of organizations were in the middle of their change freeze this time of year, which means um, patching. Anything that you're going to do, updates to you know the the logging system, the you know Log4j application itself, any of those things are going to require a bunch of approvals and a ton of coordination with a bunch of people who probably aren't in the office right now. So we've got to work on that uh, process. I, I know we want to freeze. I know we all want time off. And we all want vacation. Um, but uh, man, it seems like that's when. The bad stuff happens, especially when it comes to cybersecurity. Um, the other lesson would be that you know you may not know that you're even using, you know, Log4j. Yeah. If you write code, uh, chances are really good. Hopefully, chances are good that you know that you're using that open source um, code and that it's part of something that you've created. But in healthcare, we often use COTS products or we use software as a service product, and um, in those cases, you'll clearly have to rely on your vendor. They have to either come into your network and patch or upgrade their systems, or if you're using as a service, you hope that's what's happening over in their data center so that they're protecting you and protecting your data. But uh, you know, the bottom line is kind of everything's connected to everything else. And as a CIO and CISO, you're still held responsible for all of those things, uh, which means to me, more transparency, more transparency with leadership, more transparency with the board, and there's this ongoing, really important conversation about risk and how you're bearing it and how you're yeah. managing it and all of those things. It's just, it's just critically important now that you're as transparent as possible. Yeah.
0: And I think what you said right there near the end was what stands out to me is how interconnected, everything we do is i saw someone tweet a picture that said powered by java which before nobody would have even noticed thought about you know like oh great java's running that i think it was a med device or something like that yeah. you're like wait now it's like a sign of uh, potentially at risk for ransomware so you know it's like the underlying components of of what we're using in
1: healthcare, do we even understand? And the answer is probably not, right? (laughs) I think, you know, this is what's happened over the last few weeks is that I think at first, everyone looked outside of their DMZ at all of the stuff that was facing the internet and were really concerned about that. And that was absolutely like phase one, for sure. sure. That's where to focus your energy. But as they got into it, they started to realize that um you know this open open source code uh i mean it's just it seems like it's i mean it's more it may be easier to figure out what it's not on than <laughs> what it's on, you know what it's on um yeah. and then it turns out to be you know IoT devices IOMT devices there are so many things that use it so the further we've gone in and the more digging that organizations have done the more stuff they've found that they have to uh, you know go and patch and a lot of this is just you know, it's awareness. It's it's um it's not something you would think about or not something you would necessarily look for, uh given you know, all, all the stuff that you have on your network, the hundreds of applications and the hundreds, of thousands of servers in some places. It's uh it's a complicated business.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Like no HIPAA risk assessment would have shown this to be a potential vulnerability that people
1: needed to worry about. <laughs> yeah, I think it started kind of like in the gamer community, right, where uh, where the gamers were kind of uh, trying to thrash each other. And, um, you know, that, that sort of revelation of you send a line of code to this logging system, and then it lets you, uh, you know, do a call out to a server that's your server that you can inject uh, malicious code, it, you know, <laughs> It's. I mean, I think there's still a lot of blogging and a lot of writing around, like, how did this even happen? How did right. this make it through production? All that kind of stuff. But it's not the kind of thing that would show would have shown up in, in an audit. I mean, some of these things, some of these kind of zero-day exploits, until they happen, you don't know that there's a weakness or a vulnerability.
0: Yeah, I heard a great story. I think it was Epic, uh, from Judy Faulkner at Epic, uh, received some document that said, you need to ensure that your software will not have any bugs. And she read that and she's like, that's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) And so she crossed it out and added the word, you know, the not. My software will have bugs and then signed it and sent it back. Because, I mean, that's the challenge, right? When you have millions of lines of codes, I mean, the numbers are, are just clear. So that, yeah. that's interesting. How about uh, the other big news, the Cronus ransomware? What are some of the lessons from from that, right? And I mean, for those that, you know, essentially Cronus has a ransomware incident and it's been down for, I think, at this recording a couple of weeks, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, what, what's the lessons from that experience?
1: Yeah, well, a lot of these are sort of similar lessons, right? Everything's connected to everything. Everything else, and so even though you're, um, even though you're getting something as a service, it doesn't mean that you should then skip past the business continuity planning, mm. um, especially for things like employee pay. Now, hopefully, most organizations are just—I mean, if, if they can't figure it out and they're not able to document time, they're at least doing something like just give them the last the same paycheck that they had yep. last time, and then we'll yep. sort of you know clear it all up later. But. Um, Having those plans in place and not panicking turns out to be one of the most important things I think Mm. you can do as a a business clinical research leader or a a technologist. Um, Business continuity, disaster recovery, incident response. Um, you know, plan, do those regular exercises. What do we do when something like this happens? Um, use lots of different scenarios. We rely on technology so much now, John, that it's like, uh, I mean, we, we have seen it over and over and over again in the last couple of years that when a, when a system, even just one system in an organization goes down, it can massively impact the, the employees but, you know, as important, patients and families and safe care. So it's a, it's a big deal. Uh, the other thing I would say is this, this is just another example of, like, expect that if you're a CIO or a CISO, the next scheduled holiday is probably one of the best times to be attacked. And, um, you know, just, I guess, kind of plan for it. Expect that that's yeah. probably when it's going to happen. And the other thing I would say is ask for help. You know, there are really good cybersecurity companies out there that can help you through all this kind of prep work and planning and incident response planning and all those kinds of things and cover you 24 um, seven and have your back when things get unpredictable. Um, And a lot of them have, you know, kind of seen it all and experienced it all and have great perspective when things like this happen. So ask for help, get help.
0: Yeah. Do you think this is going to cause some organizations to kind of pull back on the cloud? I mean, many had even gone to the kind of a cloud first approach, if you will, for many of their applications. Do you think this is going to kind of make them second guess it or are we still all in on cloud?
1: Yeah, I I, I mean, I hope not. I think that... Um... You know, it's easy to say, generally speaking, you are probably better off um, working with a cloud provider yeah. than you are trying to keep the stuff in your own data center and, you know, manage it and protect it yourself. Now, I mean, if you want to put the resources into it and, you know, do it, keep it all internally, um, then, you know, certainly that that can be a way to go. Uh, but realistically, I think as we look to the future, there's going to be fewer and fewer good products that are going to be available for you to deploy in your own data center. They're only going to be available uh, as a service. And so, um, you know, I think folks can try to pull back and try to mm-hmm. sort of resist, but I think uh, I think it's going to happen. We're we're going to continue to move to the cloud, and healthcare's, uh, you know, in some cases going kicking and screaming, but <laughs> but they're definitely going. Yeah. So shifting gears a little, uh, you know, it, it, we've had a lot
0: of conversations over the years. But one of the things that I always remember you talking about is the idea of good governance mm. and and the need for good governance to really be able to manage limited resources. And you know, interestingly, I think it applies to security. Right? We can't yeah. spend everything. We can't cover everything right uh, but i think it applies everywhere the ehr you know communications or whatever right whatever project a cio might be working on in fact they're working on all of those projects
1: yeah right? at the same time
0: <laughs> exactly so well, what's your best tip for a cio about how to you know implement uh, deploy manage good governance
1: yeah Man, there's a bunch of them, but <clears throat> I'll kind of narrow it down to just a few here. One of this goes back to transparency, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, be transparent. These are all the projects that are on the list. This is how the process is working, that we are working with everyone uh, to make the decisions about what's at the top of the list. There are no smoky backroom deals. Um, everything's above board. When people can see everything, they can not like it but they can at least understand how it's being done so transparency would be number one i was gonna say do you do you fear that people are gonna come and
0: that was a bad decision because because you were transparent or or is it just the other way around it's like worse because then their their imagination is worse than the reality
1: (laughs) yeah i think that if you do it in a smoky back room kind of environment uh people their imagination will run wild, right? They will they will come up with the worst version of the scenario that's happening. So if you're transparent, they can criticize it, but at least they can see how it works, which kind of gets to the second piece, which I okay. think is clinical business and research leaders kind of have to lead and own the process. Um, and they have to go back. It's not just sitting at the table and making decisions about what gets prioritized and what doesn't get prioritized. But it's also a really important part of their job to go back to their constituents and have that conversation about Mm. why those decisions were made. This requires them putting on the big organization hat and not necessarily always being just a hardcore advocate for their part of the business, their part of the organization, but it really requires them to go back and kind of have that two-way conversation, right? Yeah. Um, another one is kind of deciding, it's really important to decide what you're going to do, um, but it's as important, it maybe is even more important that you're really clear on what you're not going to do. Because there are a lot of things that go into this process, right? Here's the list of 500 projects that an organization um, needs to have done. And a lot of them will be no brainers, but compared to the amount of resources that you have available to do them, some of them aren't going to get done for lots of good reasons, even though they should be done. And yeah. so again, clinical business research leaders have to, wherever they draw the line, they have to be really clear about, we're not having any little back door, you know, black operations to try to figure out how we're going to get our thing without it being approved. So what's not being done, that's really important. And maybe as important as the stuff that you decide uh, you will do. And the last one is just, as we've seen the last year, or the last couple of years with uh, COVID, uh, flexibility. Um, mm-hmm. I always referred it to my team, <clears throat> talked about it as Simper Gumby, you know, always flexible, not really Latin, <laughs> but kind of <laughs> yeah, Latin. I like and, that. Um, you know, that that really sort of applied to the idea that, you um, you you only have so many resources and you're going to do projects every year but you have to reserve some capacity for the unpredictable or the thing that has not been predicted and sometimes that's things like an acquisition that you just happen to be able to do sure. but you had not planned for but you know the sky opened up and you were able to sort of buy another hospital or buy a clinic or it could be a hundred other things including covid and so you have to reserve that capacity and Build that plan as much as you can to be as flexible as possible to take advantage of the things that are good for you or react to things that are maybe bad and happening to you. And I think that's what makes governance so hard is, one,
0: it's ever evolving. And then two, to your point, that saying no is really hard in healthcare because what you're saying no to could have some benefit. So it's not like you're saying, no, that's a terrible idea. It's going to fall flat. You're usually saying no to things that could benefit, you know, maybe even a, a thousand patients, but you're saying no to those thousand patients because you can help 10,000. Right? I mean,
1: that's, that's a hard thing to do. It is. It's a super hard thing to do. And while I think we're better at doing those things, you know, my brain works in analogies. And so Mm -hmm. I think we're better at doing those things in our personal life. Okay, well, I'm going to make the mortgage payment this year, instead of, you know, going on vacation to France. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think we're better at it. But I don't know, we also carry a lot of credit card debt (laughs) in the United States. So maybe we're not that great at it. I think logically, at least thinking about it for ourselves, we understand it. When we get to the corporate environment, when we get to our organization's environment, it just seems like there should be more resources. And so this thing that helps a 1,000 patients and seems like a no-brainer to me in the interventional radiology department um, turns out to be just, it just we can't do it. It just there aren't enough resources to do it in this next year or in this cycle. And again, I think another part of this too is not saying no, never but just saying no, not right now. And, you know, I need for you to, as an organization leader, when I'm talking to those departments, I need for you guys to just bear with me here. There are other things you can do. Let's look at process improvement and how you bring patients through the system, Mm -hmm. make those improvements. And as you make those improvements, it will become even more clear what it is that you need from a technology perspective to really supercharge that process. So there's always things that you can do it's not always about buying another piece of technology or another application. And if you don't get the application, if you don't get the tech do the other things, the mm-hmm. more you do those other things, the better the definition will become around what you really need. Mm-hmm. And that can mean better pricing. It can mean, you know, you're, you're not buying as much stuff in one fell swoop. It means that the process um, Reinvention doesn't have to happen as part of the IT project, which is often what slows down and causes cost overruns in IT projects, is that we don't think about the people in process part of the technology implementation. Or we do, but we don't necessarily figure it into the, into the project plan. Again, another really important reason why clinical business and research leaders have to own those projects, too. They have to be responsible for the other part of that work, not just the tech work. CIOs yeah. and their teams will hopefully run that as efficiently as possible. But it's all the other stuff that you can get hung up on.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think vendors don't make it any easier because they're in those uh, clinical leaders here. Oh, we don't need IT. We can do it easily for you. It's, 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 it's you know, <laughs> they, they they don't need any work. And, you know, I mean, you know, the lies they tell when yeah. it's like, well, no, it's got to pass the security review at, at a minimum, right? Let alone yeah.
1: integrations and other things. So, I mean, I think especially as we've moved to the cloud, right? There's been yeah, a lot more of exactly. that kind of conversation with vendors about it hardly takes any IT time. All you you have to ask them for are these minimum amount of integrations, and you can buy it on your credit card. And this is where you get <laughs> into trouble, right? No you don't even need really the PO. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yeah, interesting. So, what's the most valuable thing that you ever did as a CIO? Wow,
1: uh, let's see. Most <laughs> you were CIO um, a lot, so that's no, I know, a lot of I know. Things, right? So, you know, I was lucky enough as a. Um, as an air force officer, actually as an enlisted guy, I was able to um, live in Japan for three and a half years. And I really got into at the time, Toyota production system and learning about Toyota and you know, how that, how all that stuff worked. And it's something that I carried with me throughout my life. And a big part of that was this idea of, um, the, Japanese call it going to Gemba or going to where the work is happening as a way to really understand why um, systems and not computer systems, but people process technology systems might be broken or challenged or need to be upgraded or fixed or, mm-hmm. you know, waste taken out. And so the going to Gemba part, I think is probably uh, one of the most valuable things I ever did. Um you know, spending time in the clinics and the ICUs and the emergency department and working the overnight shift and you know seeing the uh, you know the maintenance crew and there's so many things you can learn. It's amazing how much stuff gets filtered when you're an exec. Yeah, you know that that you get the rose-colored glasses view of the world. Ultimately, and if you don't go to Gemba and you don't see it firsthand, um, you you definitely miss out. And, and that includes your own IT staff, too. Like, go to the frontline IT staff, spend time in the help desks, go out with your desktop techs, see how the world works from their perspective. And make sure you put programs in place that lets them go to Gemba, too, and, and really see um, how, as the storage person, um, their job impacts the ICU, um, it'll, it'll change them forever. And they'll really understand why they're such a critical component of, you know, better, faster, cheaper, safer, easier access healthcare for patients and families. Love that. Great advice. So, you know, as you look at your career,
0: what's the best advice you were ever given that, you know, that you could maybe share with other people
1: uh, who are or maybe just starting their career or, you know, halfway through? Yeah. Uh, the best advice was probably... I got a really good, I got a really terrible piece of advice early on. Oh, yeah. I want to hear the terrible. Yeah, Yeah, the the terrible piece of advice. Let's hear that. (laughs) I was a young lieutenant. Um, I had been an enlisted uh, guy before I was commissioned uh, as an officer. And and during my enlisted time, I'd worked in IT. Now, this would have been, you know, really, this would have been like the late 80s. So Mm -hmm. I was using... ARPANET before we had sure. the internet and I was a beta tester for the Mosaic browser and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I remember having a hospital administrator when I first was commissioned as an officer tell me, you got to get out of this computer business. It's not going to go anywhere. So that was <laughs> that was the most <laughs> terrible advice I ever got. It actually really motivated me to kind of continue to figure out this uh, IT stuff in healthcare and how we can make healthcare better. But the, the best advice I got probably was at the other end of my career as I retired uh, from the Air Force and uh, went to Scripps Health and I had a leader there tell me, um, you know, don't, don't try to hide from who you are. I know you're making this transition into the civilian world, but all of that military experience, like don't be afraid to talk about it or relate it to things that we're doing here Uh, And that for me has kind of continued to evolve into this idea of uh, embrace your weirdo, you know, embrace the thing that makes you all those things that make you unique. Because um, I see a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to suppress those things that make them unique so that they fit in and they're more normal. But I think that weirdo stuff actually might be your superpower, right? Oh. That might be the thing that actually makes you more valuable in your organization. Now there's limits to this, <laughs> Don't <get me> wrong. <laughs> but you can alienate, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. You can definitely go too far, but I think, I think that, um, you know, all of us have unique backgrounds and unique experiences and just unique interests, interests, things that we're really into that, um, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't spend all of our energy trying to hide from it. We should just embrace it. And if we do, I really do think it's kind of like a, it's a rocket, you know, it can, it can make you better. So embrace your weirdo. That's the advice. Nice.
0: I, I, I like it. Um, You know, I, I, this came up in previous episodes where, you know, uh, Ed Marks comes in just full storyteller, passion, energy, you know, in, inspiration. And then someone like Will Weeder, uh, he comes in with more of a pragmatic, operational, a- and just starkly different, right? Or even Naomi from Dana Farber, right? Yeah. Uh, she comes with something totally different than those two two gentlemen, right? And and you look at it, and they they're like, yeah, you know, that's the key. I mean, I think is what you said, which is. Understand your strengths, right? Right. Because Will's versus Naomi's versus Ed's are just so different, but all three of them have been successful because they embraced what was special to them. So that's here's the
1: other thing, too, John, is really interesting is that in all of those cases, what you find are people who really understand themselves and are, you know, aware of what they're good at. But they're also aware of their weaknesses and the things that they're not good at or things that they can be good at, but they just that's not that's not who they are and they don't want to do it. And so they build a team of weirdos who kind of cover all of the areas. Right. Um, And and they understand that just because they have teammates who are really good at other things, that's not a threat to them. That actually yeah. makes them better. And so asking for help is a sign of strength, right? They, they bring all of these weirdos together and build amazing teams that do great work. So yeah, embrace your own weirdo, embrace all the other weirdos too. Maybe, that, maybe yeah. that's the actual advice. I love it, and maybe it's not even that we're widows,
0: you know, yeah, maybe <laughs> it is the strength to your point, right uh yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, to, for sure to quote the famous philosopher uh you know a singer, he says the same is lame, right <laughs> that's I like it yeah. <laughs> uh. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Drex. I appreciate you taking the time to hop on this episode. And thanks everyone for watching. If you want to find all the rest of the episodes of the CIO podcast, you can check them out at healthcareittoday.com. Thanks, Drex. Always my pleasure.